Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, your host and CEO of Bregman Partners. This podcast is part of my mission to help you get massive traction on the things that matter most. We have with us today Brent Adamson. He wrote the book with Matt Dixon, The Challenger Sale, Taking Control of the Customer Conversation. He later also wrote the book, The Challenger Customer, Selling to the Hidden Influences Who Can Multiply Your Results. I really enjoyed both of these books. I was schooled in consultative selling uh, back when I was doing my initial consulting work in the, I hate to say it, late 80s, early 90s. And uh, and this book was sort of a refreshing take on that and um, offered some data-based alternatives uh, that have been very successful. And so we have um, Brent with us today. He is the managing director of CEB. CEB is the leading member-based advisory company, and it combines the best practices of thousands of member companies with advanced research methodologies and human capital analytics. So they've looked at, and we'll ask Brent to describe this for us, a lot of research on what distinguishes the best salespeople from good salespeople and working to replicate those uh, techniques and uh, advantages in our broader sales forces. So Brent, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Peter. It's great to be with you. Brent, what is the challenger sale? How does it differ from the typical sales processes people might be used to? Well, let me just dive in. I'll, I'll start in, Peter, and then stop me wherever it seems best, because there's there's a there's a number of different ways to come at that question that I think are all hopefully interesting. But the um, uh, by way of just brief background, uh, so I sit in the sales and marketing practice at CEB. So we work with every major industry, uh, geography, go-to-market model uh, across B, uh, business-to-business sales. Uh, so we work with heads of sales and our teams around the world, just trying to understand through a lot of research, a lot of data a lot of analysis, quantitative, qualitative work, just what does world-class uh, selling, and for that matter, marketing, uh, look like in a, when, uh, when engaged in a complex business-to-business sale, whether it's business services, products, uh, you name it. Um, and what's interesting, Peter, the, uh, so the, the story in a, in a lot of ways for the Challenger sale starts back in 2009 or so. I mean, do you remember 2009? It was tough selling back in 2009, 2010. Where, you know, as we worked with our heads of sales members around the world, the one thing that we knew everyone was doing was struggling, of course, uh, because it was the, the down economy, everything gone off a cliff. It wasn't so much that we weren't selling as much as customers weren't buying. And so everyone was on the sidelines. You know, you look at individual sales reps, they're all at 30, 40 percent of goal, if that. Um, so it was a tough year, uh, a tough couple of years. The thing that was so interesting about that time for, uh, from our perspective as a, as a research organization, as an organization helping companies make progress on selling challenges, wasn't so much that every sales rep was at 40% of goal. It was that there was every sales leader we talked to, every chief sales officer we were on the phone with back then, almost always inevitably said the same thing. They said, you know, my whole team is really struggling except for this one guy, right? So that virtually everyone had this one person, this man or woman, this rep, the, you know, the sales professional out there who was not at 40% a goal, but at 140% a goal. And the, you know, within what was arguably one of the worst economies in recent memory, if arguably not ever. So, so that led to this really interesting question. If there was ever a time when there was a clear difference between star performing sales professionals and everyone else, it was then. And it led us to the sort of go after this question, what in the world were these individuals doing 
that is so different and, and it, could we figure that out in terms of behavior, skills, knowledge, attitudes? Could we use data analysis to try and pin that down? And then more importantly, if we could figure that out, could we somehow bottle that and export it to everyone else uh, around the world across the core performers uh, at most of our organizations? So that's the backstory that led us on Challenger, uh, down the Challenger path, where we went out and originally studied about 6,000 sales reps. We're now over, uh, well over 100,000 sales professionals in our database. Um, and, and it led to a number of really interesting conclusions. So in some ways, Peter, that's the, there, there's a different backstory to this, which is sort of what we're all doing in sales uh, and, and how sales organizations operate. But that's sort of the research methodology backstory of how we stumbled upon the story in the first place. And distinguishing, so, just to be clear, so distinguishing between a great salesperson and an average salesperson is a very hard number, which is the uh, amount of sales they make in a given period. Yeah, so for us, it's a great question because it's a, usually this sort of gets buried in the research somewhere. So when we define a star performing sales rep, uh, what we mean by that is someone who is able uh, and uh, someone who has consistently met or exceeded goal quarter over quarter for a number of years. So a, a different way to think about it is someone who consists, uh, can consistently drive growth uh, in their sales territory. So whether they're hunting or farming, that, this question inevitably comes up. Um, it doesn't matter. So the, this this work applies equally well to someone going out uh, looking for new uh, to acquire new logos or someone uh, farming in an as it were farming in an existing account. It's someone who's able to expand their book of business uh, and drive that kind of growth. That's that's what we're looking for. So that's why I can tell you sort of what we found. Does that make sense? Yep, absolutely. All right. So here's uh, here's what we found in in a nutshell. And then we can dive in deeper. Sort of you know, the backstory of why we think we found it, which is, I think, inarguably, in some ways, arguably a more interesting sort of perspective. But what we found is, so once we gathered all this data, so we went out, we tested, you know, just a range of different behaviors, skills, knowledge, attitudes, uh, you know, the, the types of things that a sales rep engages in to do their job. And so now you got about 55 or so attributes, you got thousands, thousands of sales reps, we had to make some sense out of that database. So we ran what's called a factor analysis on that database, which is simply just a, a means to take a big set of data, boil it down to a small number of manageable categories where everything in that category moves together in a statistically significant way. That's a lot of mumbo jumbo, I know. But basically what happened was um, when we ran this analysis, we found that virtually every sales professional has this tendency to fall into one of five distinct profiles. So there's these five profiles of sales reps. Now, they're not mutually exclusive. It's not like you're all of one and none of the other four. There's some overlap. What you find is you might be a little bit of one, a little bit of another. Everyone has sort of a baseline level of performance across a lot of the attributes in, in many of the profiles. But all of that said, we nonetheless found that virtually every sales professional that we've studied around the world has this tendency to gravitate to the behaviors defining one of these five profiles as sort of their primary posture when facing off with customers. So what I thought I did, you can imagine one of these profiles being this quote-unquote challenger, and they're, they're most likely to win. But let me take a minute, Peter, if it's okay. I'll, I'll run you through the five profiles very briefly and then tell you what I found. Does that sound okay? Yeah, sure. Let's go kind of fast on that because I want to dive in uh, more deeply to the challenger. Very good. So it's kind of a quick punchline. So what we found is there's this hard worker profile. So someone who's always willing to go the extra mile, doesn't give up easily, you know, shows up early, stays late, more calls an hour, more visits per week. They love feedback. That's the hard worker. The challenger is the sort of the debater on the team. So the challenger rep, they've got this very deep knowledge of the customer's business, but they use that to challenge the customer's thinking. So not about us and what we do, but challenge the customer about themselves and what they're doing. So you know, kind of push the, the customer out of their comfort zone a little bit. 
Um, the, the third is a, what we call the relationship builder. Now, the relationship builder is interesting because they, they're typically focused on building personal and professional relationships and advocates across the customer organization. So they're, they're very generous with their time. They're, they're, their primary posture is largely, whatever you need, I am here for you. You say the word and I will get it done. And the, uh, the, the fourth is what we call the lone wolf. The lone wolf is sort of that prima donna of your sales organization. They're the ones that drive you crazy because they follow their own instincts instead of the rules. And they, you know, there's no trip reports, there's no CRM entries, and frankly, you'd fire them if you could, but you can't because, well, because they're always crushing their number. And so there's always a really interesting question of what you do with your lone wolves. And then finally is the problem solver. And the problem solver is very detail-oriented, and they're very focused on making sure that all the promises that are inevitably made as part of a sale get kept once that sale is done. So they got this very strong post-sales implementation focus. Now, what's interesting is once we find those five profiles, the next thing that we naturally did is compare them to performance. And what we found is two things that were really interesting. One is that of those five, by far the most the profile most likely to be a star performer is in fact this challenger rep, the one that's out challenging customers think differently about their business. But I think equally interesting, we could dig in, Peter, there if you want, is the, the, the rep least likely to be a star performer was in fact the relationship builder, which was very interesting for most of our heads of sales members because they would tell you in many ways, they've placed their biggest bet on the profile least likely to win because they've been focused on building these, these service-oriented relationships with customers where the primary posture is, again, whatever you need, we are here for you. We want to be your partner in whatever you've got to get done. So that's the punchline. We can dig in wherever you want. Yeah, and I think actually, I mean, I could make a case uh, for any one of these. Like the hard worker, certainly if they're working on the wrong stuff, wouldn't work. But you would certainly want a hard worker who uh, is doing putting in the extra hours in order to kind of persist and make the sale. The relationship builder, you know, everyone's always thought of the relationship builder as a, you know, the um, a, a common trait of really powerful salespeople. Lone wolf, I've seen psychometric research that says salespeople tend to be lone wolves. And, and you've, you've said that it's not, uh, uh, you know, it's not just one or the other. It, 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 people have an element of each of these. But if I were to guess, I would have said the challenger from a sales perspective would be the least likely to be effective sales because, you know, salespeople, uh, I think, often try to make people feel good. And there's something about the challenger of all of these who is actually not out there to make the person feel good. In fact, what you're saying is the challenger, the star performer is out there to make their prospects feel uncomfortable and feel less good. And there's something counterintuitive about that, meaning I don't know that I want to do business with someone who makes me feel bad. Can you explain yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. So so one thing we have to be super careful on, because by the way, we chose this language in some ways to be intentionally, uh, if not provocative, then at least thought provoking, right? So the um, uh, a couple thoughts. One is when, when we find that this relationship builder is least likely to win, uh, one of the things we definitively know, we all know intuitively from sales is that I think we'd all agree, of course, relationships are hugely important in sales. So it's not that relationships don't matter, but the question does become what is the heart and soul, what is the basis of the relationships we're seeking to build with our customers? Is it largely just familiarity? Is it largely just, hey, we know this guy, so we'll buy from him? Because what we're finding today is customers don't buy that way anymore. So in fact, what we find more than anything else is customers just buy on their own. They're out there doing their own research, their own learning. And frankly, they want to push sales reps as far back to the end of the purchase as they can. Uh, and, and largely when they contact them, it's in the form of some sort of RFP or request for price. And there's very little left to discuss there, but, but terms and conditions. So what we find is that these challenger reps are actually battling against that particular dynamic. Now, the thing that we have to be careful on about the challenger rep is, you know, 
as my co-author Matt Dixon, very he's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but he's right. He, he once said, "You know, look, we didn't call them the jerk; <laughs> we called them the challenger." So, so what challengers are not doing is being obnoxious. They're not being annoying. In fact, what you find is the best challenger reps are incredibly professional. They're incredibly empathetic. They uh, they challenge in a culturally correct way. So the way you challenge in Japan would be very different than the way you challenge in the Bronx. But nonetheless, what challenger reps are doing is they're not challenging the customer as a person, but rather they're challenging their thinking. They're, they're, they're expanding the way that that customer thinks about the customer's own business, giving them a new perspective, a new way for them to think about how to compete more effectively, how to make money or save money that that customer, despite all of their learning, has failed to fully appreciate on their own. So so what the, what the challenger rep is bringing to the table for the customer is not just a relationship or familiarity. What they're bringing to the table is what we call insight. It's, it's a it's a it's an idea about not about you know the, the reps business and the reps products and the reps services, but rather about the customer's business and the, the customer's ability to compete. So, if you think about you know the customers that 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 everyone listening to today is is you know think about all the customers that all of us serve. The one thing that our customers all want to know more than else is you know how can I compete more effectively? How can I grow? How what are things I don't know but should? What are ways you know? What are ways I'm exposed to risk that I don't fully appreciate? What are ways I can I'm exposed to costs that I haven't fully understood? And what challenger reps are doing is they're bringing that kind of insight to the table. So so what you find is a challenger conversation is really powerful when done well because the challenger conversation is not the traditional let me it's not products and features and benefits and what we sell and how we can help, but rather. A challenger conversation is really based around a surprising finding about the customer's own business that shows them a new way to compete that they hadn't appreciated on their own. So I don't want to be an overachiever here, but when I look at these five types of sales reps, it, it, and I'm curious about whether your research uh, showed this in any way, I would imagine that you need all of this, meaning that a challenger without having built the relationship wouldn't have legs. A challenger without also the ability to sort of creatively problem solve to make sure that all the needs are met wouldn't really have legs. A, a challenger who's not a hard worker, etc. And so it would seem that what I'm curious about from a research perspective is I would imagine that all of those things without the challenger wouldn't be very effective in terms of a salesperson but the challenger without all of those things, I imagine, wouldn't either be very successful. And I'm curious if you looked at that in the research. We did. And so, you know, it's interesting because this is where one can easily fall into the trap of the five profiles and think of them as sort of these very discrete units. And, and partly, by the way, to be totally fair to everyone out there, that's sort of how we construct the narrative, too, uh, because it makes the narrative stickier. It makes it more memorable, makes it easier to wrap your brain around. But you know, I, now that we've worked with literally hundreds of organizations around the world to help build a to kind of take them on the challenger journey, help train their reps, you know, work on their, you know, work with their coaches or their managers to coach challenger. One of the things I often warn them of is that, you know, the, the question I hear almost inevitably, it seems, from sales organizations when looking at those five profiles is you get a room of 150 sales reps, 400, 500 sales reps, and they'll look at those five profiles and they'll, they'll ask themselves, you know, or they'll, in fact, they'll look at a colleague and say, which one are you, right? So that the, the thing that they're always, they're defining the research in terms of the profiles themselves, which is largely how we initially tell the story, right? So are you a hard worker? Are you a challenger? But remember, the, the profiles aren't meant to be mutually exclusive. And so I think the better question is not so much, are you a challenger? Are you a hard worker? Are you a, 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 a lone wolf? The better question, I think, to ask is, irrespective of whatever profile you think you might be, 
what in the world are these challenger reps doing that is so different? And how can I do some of that too? And what I mean by that is at the end of the day, the story isn't about the profiles, it's about the behaviors. It's the specific behaviors that these individual sales reps are engaging as challengers that allow them to truly be differentiably better uh, than everyone else. And what you find is there's certain behaviors in each of those four, five profiles that, that could uh, that, that sort of create a path to, to, to high performance. So you, in other words, we find star performers in each of the five profiles, and that in some ways is not a surprise. What the challenger story is more than anything else, though, Peter, is the story of probabilities. In other words, when you look at the five profiles and look at who's likely to be a star performer and you had to place a bet, placing a bet on those behaviors that, that define challenger are by far the best bet to place, both in terms of what the data is telling us, but also in just terms of the narrative that we see coming out of the commercial landscape today and given how customers are buying. So, so yeah, can you be a star performing lone wolf? Absolutely. In fact, what's interesting is uh, there are more star performing lone wolves per lone wolves than there are more star performing any other profile in that profile. In other words, most, star, most lone wolves are star performers. When you look at the data, what that might tell you is I should just hire a bunch of lone wolves. What you'll find in a big sales organization though is that's a non-starter. You know, we've actually found sales organizations where 75, 80% of their star performers are lone wolves. And what happens is you live by the sword, you die by the sword at the individual level. So you, uh, you know, it's really interesting. You have no scale. You, there's no process. Everyone's doing their own thing. You can't really coach to it. It's uh, one of our uh, one of our heads of sales at a pharmaceutical company very memorably told me one time. He said, "Lone wolves are a cancer in our organization because everything we're trying to do is team based, and they're all individuals. We can't sell anything in a team based organization that way." So, so what you find is um, that that while you can be a star performer in any one of these five profiles, engaging in the behaviors that define challenger, irrespective of whatever profile you may be in, is what we find to be the best way to maximize the likelihood of being a star performer. In the few minutes that we have remaining, can you share some of those behaviors of the challenger? Sure. There's there's three in, in particular, and we dive into this in more detail in the book, but the, the fingerprint of a challenger rep really is, is the, the ability to what we call teach, tailor, and take control. So to teach the customer something new about the customer's business, not about our products and services, about what the customer is actually doing uh, uh, or not doing that would allow them to be more competitive in ways the customer hasn't fully appreciated. By the way, that's going to engage. That's going to involve two-way uh, two-way communication. It's going to be. It's going. Uh, it's going to involve not leading with questions, uh, but rather leading with insight. But nonetheless, being able to ask good follow-up questions once you've led with that insight to engage customers around that insight to have that conversation. And one of the things to, one of the things you speak about ahead, the, one of the things you speak about in the book, and this actually might be Taylor, but I but it might be teaching. I can't remember what section you had it in, but the idea that you you want to teach about issues that position you as the person trying to sell them your product in a way that makes it kind of an obvious uh, an obvious solution to the challenge that you're teaching them about. Yeah, and that's an important part of this story, which is, you know, if I go out and say, it's like, you know, I, I, we get this question a lot, and it's the right question to ask, which is, all right, Brent, let's say I do what you recommend we do, and we go out and teach the customer something new about their business, show them a new way to compete. They get all excited, say, you're right, I got to do that. And then they take that idea, put it in the RFP, put it out to bid, and, and the compet- your competitor wins the business. That doesn't feel like a good place to be. And we have a name for that. We call that free consulting. So, And, and very few people ever made much money off of free consulting. I think definitionally no one did. So so what, we, what, what one has to do when one teaches the customer about the customer's business is make sure that whatever you teach the customer about their business ultimately leads back 
to something that you can do better than anyone else so that your insight leads to your unique strength. But the, the whole idea here is a couple thoughts on that is one is it means you actually have to know what your unique strengths are, which turns out to be a really hard part of the story, which is not just ask what are we good at, but what are we uniquely good at. But then once you identify what those unique strengths are, rather than doing what most of us are trained and instinctively would want to do, which is go out and tell the world what we're uniquely good at and lead with that as our value proposition, what we talk about in the challenger story of teaching is don't lead with that value proposition, but lead to it. Because your, con your customer doesn't want to have a conversation about your company. They want to have a conversation about their company and how they can be more competitive in ways they haven't fully appreciated. So have that conversation first. Share that insight. Blow them away or challenge them with new perspectives that allow them to achieve goals they didn't know were even achievable. But do it in such a way that at the end of the conversation, when they ask the inevitable question, all right, great, that's fantastic, but who can help me with this? you got to be able to look them in the eye and say, all right, well, let me show you how we're positioned to help you with this better than anyone else. So the way we sum that up is we like to say, don't lead with, lead to. And in many ways, that's the heart and soul of teaching in Challenger. Great. Taylor? Taylor is all about understanding who your customer stakeholders are, what they care about, what are their, what are their priorities, and also to understand that customer's business. So it stands to reason if I'm going to teach the customer a new way to make money or save money, I need to actually understand how they make money or how they save money. I need to understand their business. Uh, inventory turns or throughput or risk gallon footprint or whatever it might be that's going to allow you to to tailor your insight to what they uh, their current position is and how they perform against that insight and then finally to take control and i think some ways peter this is what the one that gets us in most trouble because it sounds so annoying and aggressive but take control means to essentially to well to take control of the conversation diplomatically professionally empathetically culturally correctly but nonetheless to to steer the organization so rather being on your back foot of asking what do you need and what's keeping you up at night and how can i deliver value you start that conversation on your forward foot saying i've got something to share with you i think would be important for your business to see that you keep that conversation based and revolving around that insight and around value as opposed to falling back on price in a pure negotiation and to do that in a way that allows you to, as we like to say, to pressure the customer, but not pressure them personally, but to pressure their thinking, to, to put a little, to, to take the customer a little bit out of their comfort zone, to get them thinking about their business in ways that they haven't really thought about it in the past. So teach, tailor, take control. Again, whatever profile you might think yourself to be in, that we find is a recipe for improving performance for anyone. Brent, thank you so much. Like like the book itself, the podcast that you've just recorded with me is really filled with a lot of really great information that takes some time to absorb because it's not just about knowing something more, but it's about showing up differently and doing something differently as a salesperson. And I, I really enjoyed both the Challenger sale and the Challenger customer. And it really made me rethink, I mean, the way that we sell when we're selling in organizations is very consultative, but it gave me a, a, some shape to think about how I do that very specifically. So I, I really appreciated reading the book. I think it's a great book. Thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Absolutely, Peter. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode of the Bregman Leadership Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For more information about the Bregman Leadership Intensive, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit peterbregman.com. Thank you to Claire Marshall for producing this episode and to Brian Wood, who created our music. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next great conversation. <laughs>